Hello, and welcome once again to Yester Ladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And Heather, what ancient Egyptian queen are we talking about today? Well, Dana, if you thought it was Cleopatra, you'd be wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> we are actually talking about Nefertiti. Wait, I read about Cleopatra. No. Oh, wrong. Shoot. No Cleopatra. You know what I was? I was trying to think of who's the other one. And I did a project on her in oh, undergrad. Hepshetsu. Yes. Yes. We should do her. We should. I'd heard of yeah. this. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I thought, I mean, not that Nefertiti isn't plenty interesting because she is, but I feel like I thought I, I conflated the two and I was thinking that Nefertiti was uh Hepshetsuit because I was remembering Hepshetsuit from this class in first year. And then you didn't find the details you expected. Yeah. As I was reading my hair, I was like, wait, I thought. And then I realized that like, oh, no, no, you were thinking of the other one. (laughs) So Nefertiti's great. She is great. Very interesting. So I'm glad that we are doing her, but we definitely at some point will have to do Hapshat suit. Exactly. And I'll have to dig out my old notes. Teaser for our future Egyptian female ruler podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Built into our current Egyptian female ruler podcast. There you go. There you go. All right. So yes, we we are talking about Nefertiti. So when was she born, Heather? Well, Dana. uh... (laughs) I don't actually have her birthday. Way to go. (laughs) I have her ruling dates. (laughs) All right. When were her ruling dates, Heather? Yeah, that was an unfair question. I I, I guess I kind of just meant like, when was she alive on this earth? Well, I have a span of 40 years, so I'm not sure if those are her life years or her ruling years. But I I guess that's probably her life years. She she died fairly young, right? Or younger. I was saying that they figure she died between like, I don't know, late 20s to late 30s. (laughs) Yikes. So I would think yes. that that is her lifespan because yes. she only ruled or her she, her husband ruled for what, like 12, possibly 17 years. It's yeah. very sketchy. We will we'll, say right off the bat that um, there's uh, it's a little bit the historical record. There's a lot of mystery around Nefertiti and her family. Um, and we do know some things for sure, but there are. There's a lot of kind of unknowns and a lot of speculation. So we'll kind of tell you all about the speculation, but a lot of it is is not known for sure. It's really difficult to pin down specifics when you're talking about ancient Egypt because it is so ancient and because so much of the documents and the buildings and everything is gone. Um, so you're working with fragments and you're piecing together fragments. So, so if my dates then are her life, I do have the year well, she was born <laughs> redeemed. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Nefertiti would have been around from 1370 BCE to 1330 BCE. So that's a span of approximately 40 years, uh, in that gap. So, uh, we don't, again, like we said, we don't know exactly how long she lived, but it was kind of that rough, 40 year span she was um working the scene and uh so she was as we said an egyptian queen renowned for her beauty Mm -hmm. and her name itself means a beautiful woman has come which is (laughs) i know how much you enjoy that (laughs) i did i texted dana earlier today and said i'm just gonna change my name to the hottie is here and then maybe i too can be the ruler of an ancient dynasty I don't think that's going to work. But I'm not calling you that. <laughs> I so hope, you'll have to try with that. No one calls me that. But <laughs> oh, come on. But if I wanted to be an ancient dynastic ruler, I could just name That's what you would that. do. That yeah. would be my ancient dynastic I'm ruler. I'm sure it would work. Well, <laughs> God. Um, so she actually had quite a few kind of titles throughout her reign. Yes. So I really like all of these. Um, so some of her titles included hereditary princess so okay that's rather like mundane <laughs> not that exciting um oh it's, but the rest of them are just yeah. they're so poetic mm-hmm. great of praises mm. lady of grace sweet of love i really like all yes. these that are like something of something yes um lady of the two lands main king's wife <laughs> again okay great <laughs> that's just a description yeah yeah <laughs> His beloved. Mm. Oh, 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 I think those belong together. I'm sorry. Main King's wife, his beloved. Mm. So that's better, actually. That's better. I like that a lot. Great King's wife, his beloved. Mm. And then um, mit- Mistress of Upper and Lower Egypt. And my all time favorite, Lady of All Women. That was my favorite, too. <laughs> you, be, you be the hottie has come, and I'm going to be Lady of All Women. 
you've got a much better name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> but you're just co-opting that from Nefertiti. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Mm-hmm. Enough time has passed. Yeah. It's up for grabs. I'm just going to take up her crazy blue hat and... <laughs> It'll be mine now. Dawn, the crown of Egypt. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Force everybody to uh, uh, worship the sun god. And... <laughs> It'll work. Sure. Sure. No problem. Let's do it. So Nefertiti ruled alongside her husband, who was Pharaoh Akhenaten, and he adopted that name a little later on, but that's usually how he's referred to now. So if you've heard of Akhenaten, uh, you, if we refer to him by his original name, you might not know who he was but you would probably recognize him by Akhenaten. Uh, and she was really power and beauty combined because mm-hmm. she had quite a bit of power in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And that was very different than previous Pharaoh's wives. And we will get into that. So she, uh, she combined the best to both worlds. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's kind of the, the, the general perception that I think was put out there um, by the Pharaoh um, but as uh, we don't actually know for sure if she was all that beautiful, right? Like these could mm. be, um, propaganda, right? Yeah. It could be kind of propaganda. Um, uh, you know, I feel like all of those titles, she probably was at least somewhat attractive, <laughs> you know, but like, if, you know, royal, royal personages are kind of usually talked up a little bit, but it, mm. a couple of the articles we read pointed out the fact that, um, it does seem as though Akhenaten and Nefertiti were a very like savvy kind of um, ruling pair. And that's not to say that other pharaohs weren't, but they definitely used propaganda and um, the arts and kind of depictions of themselves and their rule and their family for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. And like um, what, you know, we'll kind of get into this more, but what is one of the most interesting things about Nefertiti is that she was often portrayed as almost equal in status to Akhenaten, which was unusual. Um, but that would, it would kind of ebb and flow. Like sometimes she would be mm. portrayed as kind of like, you know, walking a step behind him at other times she was portrayed like as the same, at the same height as him, which is a big thing because in Egyptian uh, depictions, it like, the bigger somebody is in the picture, the more important they are. <laughs> they weren't like all about kind of, you know, realistic. Yeah, it wasn't about perspective. No, 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 it no, was no. about power. Yeah, yeah. If you're big, then you're important. And if you're tiny, you were really not important. Um, so it d- depended. Some depictions, she was like the same size as him. Others, she was smaller. So it kind of, they would, it sounds like he would kind of use those depictions to his benefit at the time that he was doing them. So, uh, but again, like it is unusual that she was portrayed as such an equal, um, queen to, to his, to his, uh, kingship. Yeah. <laughs> because up to that point that had rarely, if ever happened. So even the fact that he was willing to use it when it, uh, benefited him mm-hmm. or, you know, sort of at his whim was still, uh, at least progressive at that point. So it may have ebbed or and flowed. Unusual. I yeah. Yes. So these two were definitely the power couple of their time. And yeah. when doing this research, I kept thinking about how they would make such a great celebrity couple today um, <laughs> and how well they would work social media because they were, it, it was very much about the image and how they portrayed themselves. And um, they had an effect even on Egyptian art itself as a genre. Um, mm-hmm. The way their family was shown and their rule was shown in, in art and on walls that we can see today um, in murals, it became more um, individualistic, it became more naturalistic. So it was less stylized. Um, so they basically changed the art form of their time mm-hmm. um, through their own preferences. So I thought, oh my God, what these people would do with Snapchat or with, <laughs> with Facebook. Snapchat. <laughs> the first thing you go to is Snapchat. I, I don't know why. I, <laughs> I, I don't even use Snapchat. I know. I was but, but it's say. so image-based, right? <laughs> I don't know. Twitter. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I feel God. like they would be amazing at wrangling um social media and their, their yeah, yeah, image yeah. to the public yeah that, that sort yeah of thing. it would be really They'd great be like instagram instagram that's what i was trying that, to say I thought maybe I yeah chat. sorry oh geez that <laughs> just shows like, how not social media savvy i am except uh, perhaps you are more so because i feel hmm. i think like snapchat is like the cooler app savvy than instagram yeah. like i feel like the kids, mm, the, kids. the kids are are using Snapchat. They're pro- the kids are probably actually using something different that Past we've snapchat, never even heard right, of yeah right. snapchat is like old news now and like instagram <laughs> is like 
ancient. Who's even on Instagram anymore? I don't even know. (laughs) It's now PicChat or something. PicChat. PicTok. PicTok. Oh, no, that doesn't sound good enough. PicChat is better. Hmm. That's what we're going to do. PicChat. I'm sorry. I I feel like we should apologize. It's like late in the evening on a Friday night after a long (laughs) week, and I think both of us are just a little punch drunk <laughs> so if we're if we're kind of weird then that's why might explain the digressions yeah tonight yeah mm-hmm. yes not that we don't always digress but it's true it's true uh so i guess also one of the neat things about their role is that nefertiti and akhenaten were ruling ancient egypt at the height of its power and influence mm-hmm. so this is during the 18th dynasty um they're ruling their civilization at its peak so um you know some of it we can we can um uh, give them credit for and some of it was just they inherited this amazing civilization which was far more complex than any that had come before and you know greece and rome hadn't even begun their rise to power uh, at that point hundreds and, of years away right from, it's just so yeah. far in the future um so they're ruling the greatest civilization on earth at that point and uh you know it's <laughs> and a very large domain um correct i can't even remember in a strong military. And, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you but, know, a huge cultural scene compared to anything else. So yeah, I yeah. mean, and they like they controlled what we now know as geographically geographically Egypt, but they also controlled a lot of a lot of land around that vicinity. And I'm really, really sorry. I I read somewhere <laughs> how far that stretched, and now I'm just like completely blanking, and I can't find it. So look that up. But. Um, <laughs> They, they, yeah, Egypt was really at its at its kind of golden age at this point. And one of the pieces that I was reading was talking about kind of comparing Nefertiti and Cleopatra. And even though Cleopatra is obviously she is more famous, she's more mm-hmm. well known, um, definitely the most famous Egyptian queen. Um, she really was ruling Egypt at its decline, like kind of in the very last years of its autonomy. And then, of course, it was you know, by the end of her reign or her death, it was by that point, it had become like a province of Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, so as famous as she was, she really, really, really wasn't at the top of Egypt when it was at its most glorious. Absolutely. But Nefertiti was. She sure was. Oh, she was in the top position. And um, some people, some historians, knowing how things went during their reign, uh, argue that together Nefertiti and Akhenaten actually almost brought the civilization to its knees or at least their kingdom to its knees um as we get into yeah because they started tinkering with the religion and the cities and the capitals and uh they really sort of made a hot mess of things and (laughs) and then things kind of reverted back after well we'll we'll get into all this we will yeah uh i think we kind of are again because i I feel like we've kind of covered there's just not all that much known about her early life um well, we're, we're pretty sure she married fairly young. Mm-hmm. Um, like at some, 15 or yeah, so. Speculation yeah, speculation was around 15. And that was very common for Egyptian royals. And it was actually uncommon that she, uh, or that Akhenaten wasn't married to a sibling. She was mm-hmm. not a sibling of his, which was the odd oddity. <laughs> now, should point out that he probably was married to um, <laughs> other siblings because right. he had a lot of wives. She was kind of the, the most important or the main wife the the queen the great royal the wife the great royal that wife her, that was her beloved. title the way uh we talked about titles in in harem the harem episode right exactly yeah. so kind of a similar thing you know he had multiple multiple wives mm-hmm. um but yeah it was unusual and um it's referred apparently at, at different points they're depicted even like kissing and mm-hmm. um they had a a more romantic relationship than is generally depicted in Egyptian royals i would think largely because they were always marrying their sisters so it'd be hard to be romantic with a sibling with a sibling and it was all arranged it was, all it was arranged, happening yeah. when you were children children yeah. were often children child siblings were often married to each other so that's pretty much the last person yeah you want to be married to at the last point in your life that you want to be married to them so yeah. so i can understand why there would be very little romance in a royal egyptian uh relationship but so, it looks yeah. it looks like there was they they were certainly portrayed much more affectionately than in previous royal couples uh so we we know that well we don't know exactly where she's from there's some 
theories. One is that she's from a town called Akmim, and that she was either the daughter or the niece of a, a courtier, a high official named A. His name is just A-Y, so I'm going to go with A. Logical. Uh, but other theories argue that she might have been foreign, uh, possibly from Syria. That's the best guess that they have if she were uh, from somewhere else. Uh, but the, we don't really know. We don't really know. From what I was seeing, um, the the kind of top theory or the, the one that most academics put the most stock in is the one that she was Egyptian, you know, the daughter of a courtier. Right. Courtier. Oh, God. There's the French pronunciation again. <laughs> Lovely. But she was definitely noble wherever she mm-hmm. was from. Um, and when she married, her husband's name was Amenhotep IV uh, because his dad was the current pharaoh, Amenhotep III. But then he assumed the name Akhenaten when, oh. uh, when things well, changed. Yes. Let's get into that. Yes, let's so, get into it. Um, this is a whole, a whole thing. Oh, also, oh. before I forget, I do want to kind of situate... I mean, we have said like, oh, these are the years, but I always right. feel like when you're, when we're talking, um, BC, I'm just always like, I, you can't, you can't put it in relation for me. It's right. hard to put it in yeah. relation to things. Because you start going backwards. The years. Start yeah. Going and I get, reverse. yeah, I get confused by that. Cause <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, she ruled from this, like, you know, earlier date to this late. From, from so, the seventies to the thirties. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I can't even compute. It's right. so confusing. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, you know, kind of the. BC, everything is like, oh, well, that's just ancient. Um, So it's hard to kind of situate things the way it's, for me anyway, a lot easier, you know, once we get into uh, AD. But it does help to know that uh, Nefertiti and Akhenaten were, if not right before, almost right before the very famous Tutankhamun, or as he is colloquially, collo- oh God, it's too <laughs> late for this, as he is commonly known, King Tut. Um, so we were, we do know, right? They did DNA tests and they know that Tutankhamun was the son of Akhenaten. Correct. Um, they just, it's, and again, we'll talk more about this, but we don't know whether Tutankhamun was the son of Nefertiti. And it, it sounds like he likely wasn't that right. she wasn't his mother. She was kind of, a, I guess, a stepmother type figure. Um, she will, again, we'll get mm. into this, but she might have, have ruled with him as regent for, cause he was such a young, a young King. Um, but so if that helps, it helps me to know that this is like the generation before King Tut. Right. And they would have been, King Tut would have been a child under their care so mm-hmm. this is like the direct generation right before yeah uh, it helped me as well when i got to that part i was like oh okay. yeah it really helped king tut. not that i can place king tut any better within history no, but, but at least you're like okay something familiar to grasp onto yeah yes, in relation yes. to each other i right. guess that's kind of helpful and i feel like i do understand that king tut was fairly was like later in egyptian history and mm. again like i do think i knew that he was i do think i what oh my god i'm so tired i i think i did realize that king tut was also kind of like the height of of egypt's power right. but yes. anyway we should get into the whole religion thing we certainly should uh okay so being this power couple and being able to rule sort of however they liked um akhenaten and nefertiti took on the establishment uh so there was a very strong egyptian religion um that worshipped um, a pantheon of gods. So good word. Uh, I know. And uh, what these two basically decided to do was throw out the entire previous religion, choose one of the gods out of the roster. So they chose the sun god, and uh, and make him the main god. So mm-hmm. the sun god was named Aten, and uh, they established the cult of Aten. So they worshipped the sun, um, and Aten was the name for the sun disc, and then the sun itself was called Ray or Re. It's R E. Yeah. So I, uh, Ra, I thought I it was Ra. Ra. I thought it was pronounced Ra. I feel like that's what I've heard. Yes, it's, it makes sense. So um, this this really was a very big deal. Them kind of enforcing this move away from polytheism because the Egyptians had worshipped you know, the pantheon of gods for a very, very long time. So all of a sudden, suddenly you've got this one Pharaoh and his wife saying, nope, we're going to, we're going to worship this one God in particular. And, um, it's not, it, it kind of sounds like that would be monotheism, but mm-hmm. it wasn't quite that. 
um, scholars have said it has been better referred to as a, okay, monolatry, monolatry, um, which would be the depiction of a single God as an object for worship or henotheism, which is one God who is not the only God, which sounds super confusing, but basically like, okay, yes, there are very many gods, but this one God is the most important God. And this is the God we should all worship. So, um, I mean, like that, that's a huge, I mean, can you imagine this whole, this whole, whole culture is, is built around worshiping many deities. And all of a sudden you've got this one guy being like, no, all of a sudden now we're, we're focusing on this one. That's the one that matters. And, um, we are, me and my wife are the, <laughs> the high priests, the high priests and we are the people who have direct access yes. to this God and you all have to go through us to access this God. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, I imagine it would have been pretty destabilizing. <laughs> and uh, this, I, the more I read about this, the more I realized this was also a big political move because the priests, the priests of the former religion uh, had set up at Karnak, which you might recognize the name if you are into any Egyptology. Uh, and they were hugely powerful, hugely wealthy, and hugely influential. Oh, very and threatening. So, yes, very threatening. And so this, this you know, young, cool couple decides, all right, well, we got to take some power away from them. And by stripping them, basically, of all this influence and all these other gods, and by making themselves uh, the, the new sort of priests of the new religion, they can wrest some of that power and that influence from the priests. And this really reminds me of, um, was it Henry VIII? I was just going gonna there? say yes. oh yes, my god we're so sick. So so i know I, I was thinking that the mm-hmm. whole time it's mm-hmm. so reminiscent yes. of that that the catholic church was getting too powerful yep. for him he wanted to do what he wanted to do and uh so he basically said no i'm the head of the church now <laughs> new religion and i'm yeah. the head yeah so yeah very yeah very yes. very similar absolutely yeah um i'm glad we both <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes um so they did and uh not only did they set up a new religion they set up an entire new capital city uh so they moved basically way out into the boonies <laughs> to, into nowhere and they yeah like was, it wasn't even near the nile it, it right not, it was so infertile it was yeah. broiling just in the middle of the desert like picture the rockiest most barren sweltering location ever and uh we watched great it. place for a city <laughs> we'll just start it from scratch here where yeah. there's nothing um and they forced everyone to go with them and build this city of course they didn't show up till later when the city was built but uh we watched a documentary and one of the interesting things in the documentary was they described how they picked the site so the egyptian hieroglyphic for horizon is uh, a line with a bit of a a geometric divot in it so it's like a line and then a scoop down and then the line continues and there is a rock formation in this new location uh the location of their new city that has that exact shape in it. <laughs> and so the pharaoh saw this shape and said it's a sign that <laughs> our city should be located here because the sun you know rises in the horizon and the sun is our god and la la so here's here's what we're gonna build so oh, wow. everyone just gets roped into building this new city for them well and it's interesting i mean we're diverting a little bit, I guess, into kind of ancient Egyptian culture and beliefs in general. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I read that kind of ties into this, that helps explain why this was such a big deal, why the horizon really mattered was because, and again, like the whole sun God thing, it, you know, why they were able to say like the sun God is the most important um, because they believed that every day when the sun rose, that was like the cosmos starting from scratch again, or like rejuvenating, which I kind of thought was a really lovely idea and i was like well now i want to like get up and watch the sunrise tomorrow <laughs> but that's not gonna happen so maybe another day <laughs> the exact same thought i was like that is that's beautiful that's touching because it was like at the dawn the universe is reborn i was like oh i should go watch the sunrise and i was like Psh, i'm not doing that <laughs> Oh my god! For like one minute, I entertained the idea of like, yeah. watch the sunrise, like Me the ancient too. Egyptians see it through their eyes, and then I was like, no, no, tomorrow's a Saturday. Tomorrow's Saturday. I'm sleeping I'm in. I have to watch the universe reborn on a Saturday morning. The universe needs to be reborn uh, on Monday at nine a.m. When you have to get up. Anyway. I, yeah, Monday at nine a.m. Yeah. Although I don't want the sun to be rising at nine a.m. That's no. far too late, and I'm happy that we're into the time of the year where uh, we have longer days now. <laughs> if I have to watch the universe be reborn. Yeah. Well, Time. Yeah, the next time I'm I'm up when the sun is rising, then hopefully I will remember this and think about how the world is is restarting. <laughs> Please, universe, revolve around our personal schedules. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> yes. fair. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. So the new city that they built was called Akhetaten. Uh, I think it's Akhetaten. That. Akhetaten. That's what yeah, I was thinking. that sounds more Egyptian. <laughs> uh, now it's known as Tel El Ar. Ar- Whoa, dear. 
Tell El Amarna. And usually they just call it Amarna, Amarna which is yeah. easier. And then you would not have stumbled at as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole city was built to honor Aten, the sun god. Um, right. And I just want to point out, this is kind of the time period when um, uh, Amenhotep the fourth changed his name to Akhenaten and at the same time or or around the same time uh Nefertiti changed her name oh, dear. oh lord let me find it here it's Do you want me to try it no 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 I want to try <laughs> okay. it there it is okay so she changed her name to Nefer Nefer Uaten Nefertiti which meant do you have the translation yes yeah. it means beautiful are the beauties of Aten a beautiful woman has come. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, whoa. <laughs> That's an even better title. <laughs> All right. Nefer, Nefer, Uaten, Nefertiti. So yes. there's a lot happening there. So Nefer clearly means beautiful because mm. you've got it in there three times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It reminds me of like hyphenated last names today that yeah. just get really long and complicated. Like there's too much going on here. Yes. So they both changed their names to honor um, the sun god and basically built his name right into their own. And, uh, and they... Um, built this city um, and they basically forced the whole royal court and government to move there. Uh, they had several open air temples and the palace itself, it was a double palace and it was right at the center of the city. But all of the architecture and the entire design of the city, it was all about the sun and like where it would set and where the rays would would shine and like, on, you know, the equinoxes and solstices. And it was, it was all lined up with the movements of the sun and, and uh, all designed around it. So it was quite the development and it yeah. was built in development <laughs> i'm thinking of uh sutton valley and arrested development <laughs> very nice <laughs> but it was built in records in record time yeah. uh i mean we know that usually egyptian architecture was built through generations um and this city was built in such a short span that they could order it built and then move in uh you know within the span of one rule one reign uh, mm. which is unusual so uh it was built in record speed all right. So while they were doing all of this, they were also building a family. So together, um, Akhenaten and Nefertiti had six daughters. And I like kind of like that detail. Six know, daughters. Know, family, it's like six a fairy daughters. tale. Maybe think of Pride and Prejudice. Five daughters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's speculation about whether they had a son, but uh, they while we think they probably didn't have a biological son together, they probably had a role in raising uh, Tutankhamun together. And uh, that will come up again. Um, so they, they, and they're depicted as spending a lot of time with their family. Their daughters are in a lot of the, the drawings um, and the artwork showing them. And there's a lot of sort of natural family time being spent together in these pictures, which is sort of sweet that, you know, we, we talked earlier about them having probably we hope uh, a romantic relationship and then this sort of very natural loving family scene and again this has a role in propaganda yeah. <laughs> um but we don't see that in some other uh, depictions of rulers so you know perhaps there's some tie to reality there uh there is also though as we mentioned before like it's kind of easy to get swept up in this romantic vision of mm. of the two of them and this like loving family of six daughters and this whole thing but of course it was still ancient egypt and this was still like <laughs> pharaoh's dynasty and so again he had many wives um one at least of whom was one of his sisters mm. and there is also speculation this isn't confirmed but there is speculation that he also had a relationship i guess with one of his daughters <laughs> i know which is yeah, yeah. i um, kind of shuddered when i read that too. yeah it's kind of we don't uh, know for sure we but... don't know for sure and it could also be just that um because she was one of them, I forget which one, was declared a wife, but that could just, that sometimes just meant like kind of a title. Yeah, she took on that role. Right, right. and not necessarily a sexual relationship. Correct. Yeah, that's what I read as well. Yeah, so um, they had this really sort of golden period, and then things started to get rough. So they've moved into the new city and they've instated this new religion, um, but a lot of, it sounds like a lot of the Egyptians themselves weren't behind this and a lot of people were really upset at the destruction or downplaying of their old religion and of course the former priests are completely against this and so they sort of move into a period of social unrest and turmoil and things aren't going as well as they were hoping and also they're in the city in the middle of nowhere which I yeah. just I feel like it's a really bad economic decision as well yeah um, you know you I need- mean okay but uh, there have been other successful cities built in desert it's true you know it's true and if it's mostly administrative and governmental you can just kind of bring in supplies Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could make it work, but, but it didn't in this case. Yeah. So um, uh, things start to kind of go downhill, and um, 
we know that Akhenaten passes away and uh, Nefertiti plays a role in his burial. There are um, records of her as part of the burial process. Um, and then twelve year, after 12 years, Nefertiti disappears from the record. So there's 12 years of lots of depictions of her and, and mentions of her. And then all of a sudden, uh, the historical record is just silent. We don't see her anymore. And there's a lot of speculation about why yeah. that's the case. And I mean, we re- yeah, as you say, it's, it's speculation from, mm. from this point on really about all of the rest of this stuff <laughs> that we're gonna, it's yeah it's all speculation so we're gonna you know kind of talk about the speculation around like well where did she disappear to did she die or was mm-hmm. she kind of somebody else so, <laughs> um and what happened to her and uh and then of course all of the speculation about well where is she possibly buried which mm. you know it's just there's a lot of mystery from there this is. point out so bear yeah. with us <laughs> so some of the possibilities the simplest would be that she died when she starts disappearing from the historical record and there's some um possibility um of uh, at the time there were plagues that were sweeping across egypt and um it has been brought forward as a hypothesis that she potentially died in this plague mm-hmm. and that's kind of Akam's razor like what is the simplest explanation right, right yeah. there was a giant plague all of a sudden the queen is not mentioned anymore. She probably died, right? So I think everyone's kind of basis is that that would be the explanation, but there are many other competing theories. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them is that she was elevated to co-regent and shared equal power. uh, And this meant that she started dressing as a male pharaoh. uh, And so she would have adopted a new name. And so instead of being mentioned as Nefertiti, she now has a new name and they, uh, you know, historians up to this point or up to recently wouldn't have realized that it was the same person. And so, um, more more recently new identity said aha maybe this could be the same person just under a new name and a new um style in the artwork that we find uh so potentially she was ruling as a uh, a male ruler which is kind of very progressive of her (laughs) very cool um and this is kind of at the point where she could have been uh ruling as as you say co-regent um because now, again, like, there's some confusion about, like, was there another pharaoh between... I mean, it sounds like there probably was another pharaoh between Akhenaten and Tutankhamun. Um, but at a certain point, it's possible that she was regent for Tutankhamun, King right. Tut. Right. There is another ruler that comes in. Uh, his, we think, name was Smenkare. I don't know if I'm saying it right. And so there's speculation that she may have been Smenkare or... Mm-hmm. If she wasn't, Smenkare would have been a different male ruler. So either someone is interjected between her and King Tut, or she was Smenkare. So we, we may never know. Um, or another possibility is perhaps she was exiled when the old uh, god Amun was reinstated and the old religion was reinstated. Which was actually done. Uh, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but it's relevant. Mm. Um this was done by uh, King Tut himself, who was born, as we said, uh, King Tut was the son of Akhenaten, um, probably by a different wife mm-hmm. from Nefertiti, although it is still possible that, that she was his mother. Um, but he was born Tutan, oh God, Tutankhamun. no, Tutan <laughs> Cotton. There we go, Tutan Cotton. Um, and when he became, you know, kind of a ruler in his own right, and apparently there was no more regency and he was now the Pharaoh, um, he did a lot to bring stability back to Egypt by, um, returning the religion to, uh, the previous, um, state that it had been in, (laughs) um, which meant going back to the official worship of Amun, which I'm not sure which which God that was, but I'm assuming this meant like he returned them to like, okay, so we'll worship all these gods and whatever. Um, And at this point was when he changed his name to Tutankhamun, which is of course the name that we all know him by. Uh, At the same time, he also abandoned uh, Amarna and brought the capital back to Thebes, which was where it had been originally. For centuries. For centuries. So like, like this is all of this upheaval in like a few decades. There's this, pharaoh and queen who who declare like we've got this new religion we're moving the capital this is all happening right now we got to do it so they do that they move okay and now 
there's all this unrest and now this new guy is like okay now no we're gonna move back, back like, to everything like, all of this is happening in a yes. few decades yes. like can you imagine the upheaval and in the timeline of egyptian history too when things kind of move slowly like change happens slowly especially in ancient civilizations this was happening at lightning speed mm-hmm. like just the pace was incredible especially for that time period i feel like if you had a 30-year change in a religion and uh, a capital city today it would be a social change like shift you know and, and certainly people would be unhappy about it but like we could handle it mm-hmm. <laughs> as a city you know if somebody just declared windsor is the new ottawa um and you know <laughs> we're all gonna the religion might be a little stickier of a point <laughs> but you know i feel like societal changes happen so much more quickly more quickly now now. uh so i can only imagine how much more unsettling it would be for an ancient egyptian whose family might have existed in exactly the same manner through centuries of their their family or generations of their family and And now all of this is happening this this crazy you know couple shakes things up (laughs) well in any event um they certainly (laughs) left their mark i guess on Mm -hmm. on ancient egypt this pair um at a certain point, again, we don't really know exactly when Nefertiti died or left the picture or whatever. Um, it's all very fuzzy mm-hmm. around the end of her life. Um, it does seem as though scholars kind of seem to know that she roughly died between the age of, you know, kind of 28 to 38, um, which, oh my God. <laughs> like, oh no, we're in that bracket. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not, I'm not too worried. <laughs> we're but, not ruling an ancient society. So I no, think our life expectancy, life expectancy in general is better at this <laughs> point. I think that it probably was in ancient Egypt. Slightly better uh, outlook. <laughs> yeah. But at any, at any event, she did die yes. <laughs> at some point during this period. And of course, uh, we just have no idea exactly where she's buried, but there is a lot of speculation. Is there not, my friend? Oh, there is. And this is one of the great mysteries in Egyptology. Where is the tomb of Nefertiti? Because it has never been found. Um, and for such an impactful ruler and for such an important position, hers should be extremely uh, sumptuous and very well decorated and very obvious. And that is not the case. Uh, so this leads us into, well, all these possibilities. Um, so all kinds of claims have come out through the years, but the most, one of the most recent and, uh, one of the most exciting happened in August, 2015. So very recent, uh, there was a British archeologist or there is a British archeologist archaeologist by the name of Nicholas Reeves. Um, and he was doing some research in, uh, King Tutankhamun's tomb, uh, which we all know, um, all the excitement about that in the twenties. Uh, and he was doing scans. He was doing, um, infrared scans and all kinds of like different sonar. Yeah. Yeah. Like different frequencies and different, different technologies. Um, and so he's scanning the walls of the tomb. And I guess this is fairly common to do this because they want to see if there's any uh, rooms or spaces behind the walls without tearing the walls down because they're usually decorated in gorgeous um, hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. And uh, so his scans, uh, Reeves' scans, indicated that there were two possible hidden doors in King Tut's tomb leading to two ghost chambers, as they're called. Of course, which, they call them ghost chambers. <laughs> which is so much better than like hidden chamber or just, yeah. I don't know, just room behind the wall. Storage room. <laughs> storage room, yeah. Which they think one of them was a storage room. Right, yeah. <laughs> a ghost chamber a ghost storage chamber. room. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and the scans can also roughly indicate if there are objects in the area. Um, <laughs> and so one of the scans indicated that there were potential um, organic materials and so people are speculating well it could be a mummy uh it could also be like a bundle of papyrus <laughs> but uh and then one room had maybe some organic material and some uh, metal some, some something metallurgic was uh was sensed in the second space um what really uh interested me was that the doorways that they they claim to have found that showed up on the scans uh were at 90 degree angles and sort of coordinated with other features of the room mm-hmm. so it's, they were kind of deliberately hidden. Yeah, it seemed very intentional yep. um, that they had been designed into this space. So I thought, well, you know, that that seems pretty neat. It's not like just some crack that appeared over time or something. Um, and there were other structural anomalies, as they call them, that hint that maybe this is the case. Um, the tomb was designed and laid out uh, like a woman's tomb. Well, and I, and I think all of this, it's all, there's all this mystery, of course, about King Tut himself. Um, and his death, I mean, probably you should look that up if you haven't done so already. I think a lot of us have, have, you know, learned a little bit about 
Tutankhamun over the years. And um, of course, there's still this mystery about how he died and how young he was. And they know that he died very young. But was he murdered? Mm. Did he die of natural causes? Was it some kind of horse riding accident? I remember hearing that theory as well. Um, but the kind of speculation is that he died young and unexpectedly and they had to rush to get him properly buried. And of course, most pharaohs over the span of their life, they would be constructing their tomb and preparing for their for their burial and for their um, their journey through the afterlife, which was, of course, the whole point of mummification and stocking these tombs with all of the stuff that they would need in the afterlife. Um, so Tutankhamun, the theory is that he wouldn't have had time to have this properly done. And so they kind of had to rush and perhaps use things that had been intended for other royals, other members of his family, basically. And um, that famous golden mm. death mask mm -hmm. with the the hood thing behind it, um, they know that it's in two pieces and that was very unusual. Um, typically, those would have been made all in one piece. But they know that the face was welded on to a separate, um, like, hood mm -hmm. part. And they they speculate that the hood part or that that was created for somebody else. And they kind of had to rush to create this for, uh, for King Tut. Um, so some of the speculation here, and I mean, who knows this, this, that part may very well be true. It sounds reasonable to me. Um, th whoever this, this other person was that all this stuff was meant for, I mean, who knows who that person was? It could have been Nefertiti. I mean, that's not, I think, again, that's not unreasonable to, to guesstimate because she was a queen right before mm -hmm. him, kind of a stepmother figure. She was a very important queen. Um, so if she was still, alive at that point um it's possible i guess that that his the king tut's burial chamber and some of the other stuff um was meant perhaps for her so there's this speculation now that like these ghost chambers well never tds could that mean could be right them. right and you know sure it could be it could be but when we were reading this article there was a huge jump between yeah. hey we may have found these hidden rooms and these doorways which seems you know fairly okay. legitimate um and there might be things in them okay and then they go and it could be the mummy of nefertiti and we're like well <laughs> that's a well, big stretch <laughs> <laughs> it could be it could be the mummy of anyone from yeah. ancient egypt so yeah it seemed like a very big stretch and i think you know it's it's also part of catching the media's attention yeah, and, oh yeah. you know we all pay attention more and because nefertiti is this giant question mark and where is she and where is her tomb it's um it would be the biggest discovery since king tut's mm -hmm. tomb itself um and so of course every archaeologist would you know give their Love career that. or would give their left leg to make that discovery mm -hmm. um you know so i can't blame them for hoping for that mm -hmm. but uh uh, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what's in those hidden. For rooms sure. So it's a, the, um, I forget whether those articles said that at this point, like it sounds like this is going to happen. This exploration of well, other groups have gone in and done scans of the room. Um, National Geographic has right. a team well, go right, in right. And, and make scans, but now it's kind of degraded into this like back and forth um, debate because the later scans are not as conclusive as the original scans, and so. Uh, these later groups are saying, well, you know, we didn't find the same thing. And then um, there may not be anything there. Right. So why would we so break why would into we these walls? Risk? Correct. Yeah. And there's talk about, you know, well, can you tunnel down or you know, how can we get into these spaces and examine them without damaging the original tomb? So uh, it's just turned it's into a, a whole big... bunch of infighting. Oh, yeah, it doesn't sure. sound very promising that we'll find out soon. But it doesn't. The other, the other thing to remember here is that as, <laughs> we'll just kind of re refer in passing. There was a theory, um, several years ago now and this was heather referred to a documentary that we'd been watching and it was a um discovery channel yeah it was discovery yes. channel right and they funded this expedition of this um this archaeologist joanne fletcher i think was her mm -hmm. name who had a theory about um about who she thought nefertiti was and it was kind of a it was it was you know very interesting of course but it was very circumstantial very much based on like well we found this mummy and there was a wig nearby and the wig was similar to wigs that nefertiti wore so and there was an arm and there was an arm and like this whole thing and it was so it could be nefertiti she was wearing jewelry and nefertiti wore jewelry and we were like well so did every okay. other female egyptian royal yeah so that yeah. kind of got debunked unfortunately for this this um this historian, um, her theory kind of never really went anywhere. And as, as other academics pointed out, 
um, it just, it was unlikely to ever go anywhere. And it's really quite unlikely that they're ever going to be able to correctly identify Nefertiti's mummy because usually the only way to do that is through DNA at this point. And they can do that when they, they have mummies that they have identified as, okay, well, we know this is so-and-so. And if they take another mummy's DNA and compare it to that DNA, then they can kind of establish those family relationships. Um, the problem is that Nefertiti's family, they don't have their mummies, like her parents, her children, like it's, there's nothing to compare any mm. potential Nefertiti mummy to. So the, the chances that they're ever truly going to be able to actually conclusively identify, uh, Nefertiti's mummy, um, that's slim. <laughs> right. Unless they were to find a tomb decked out in the style of King Tut's that was like, everything has her name on it. And there's a mummy with her name written on it because they would write the mummy's names on, on the top of the bandages, which I love. Right. I know. I like that too. <laughs> I thought that detail was just I was stellar. Thinking, it was really stupid, but I was picturing like a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was picturing like charcoal, like ah, da, da, just etching it on. But uh, So unless they found some kind of you know spectacular undisturbed tomb where it's like absolutely not negotiable that that is for sure Nefertiti there will this speculation will mm -hmm. always swirl mm -hmm. but so I would say the the really fun part of the documentary although this con this idea has been debunked is seeing the footage from inside there was a different um burial chamber with three mummies where they were mm -hmm. they were um, oh, yeah, x-raying them neat. and they had to like open the, the open the tomb and then you know they were moving around the mummies and unwrapping them and x-raying them. And that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and the condition they were in is always astonishing when mm -hmm. you see them. So I would say if you're going to watch it, watch it for that, watch mm -hmm. it for the neat now, footage of the, these tombs. We will also say that we've, we've referenced the show secrets of the dead before, <laughs> and this is not a secrets of the dead production, <laughs> but it reminded both of us of that, uh, that show, which I'm not sure if it still airs on PBS, but it, it, it did at one time. Um, and you know, they were always well done and really interesting, but somewhat sensational yeah, kind of in their depiction. Like I always think about the yes. Salem uh, witch trials one and that girl writhing around in that tiny little nightgown. <laughs> um, and this, it, it was a little bit of a similar, like, you know, very kind of um, overly traumatic narration and <laughs> all of this like ominous music. And, uh, could it be? Could Nefertiti? It be? Yeah. Um, could. <laughs> so yeah, there were, there were a lot of interesting bits in this documentary, mm -hmm. but as we said, the, this was produced several years ago. And at this point that theory has, has pretty much been kind of pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. And, um, most experts agree that there's nothing to it. Um, so kind of watch it with a grain of salt if you're going to watch it, but I mean, it's still interesting. Right. And yeah, just yeah. The, that footage alone of them, of them going into the, that chamber with those mummies and, um, yeah, still very interesting. Yeah. And the science behind, you mm -hmm. know, the forensic, um, like they re sort of reconstruct her face and, and, uh, you know, this, the x-raying of the mummies and all that stuff is really neat. Yeah. So while you can't go to Nefertiti's tomb or you can't visit her tomb, uh, you can visit a, uh, undisputable link to her. So Nefertiti's bust is, uh, one of the most iconic, uh, and not her bosom <laughs> per se. Hopefully most people would understand that that's what we're referring to, but it just yes. it made me laugh. Her bust. Her bust. <laughs> Maybe with my emphasis. Um, but Nefertiti's bust is one of the most iconic, uh, images of Egypt besides King Tut's death mask and maybe the pyramids. And Heather, where is it? Why, Dana? <laughs> it is in Berlin, Germany. It's of housed in the News Museum. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that it correctly. Sounds good to uh, me. But Dana, there's a very interesting link here. Why is it in Germany? Oh, that's you might right. You, you mentioned oh. this and I hadn't heard about it. Yes. So you're going to astonish so us I'm all. Drop this. the bomb. There's a Hitler connection. Oh Whoa, with Nefertiti. So uh, Nefertiti's bust is housed in Berlin in this museum because it was part of sort of the war booty. It was looted. Uh, during World War II and taken to Germany and it was going to be the centerpiece of that massive oh, museum right, and city museum. Right, yep. that, that Hitler was planning. And uh, apparently in a documentary that I was watching uh, recently, um, Hitler had like a weird 
like obsession, love obsession with, with Nefertiti and, oh, with, and with Nefertiti. Nefertiti in particular. Oh. And he considered her like the ideal woman and that no living woman could ever live up to her. And she was this like, you know, power and beauty and, and I'm everything. sorry, but Ugh. typical <laughs> right? of a and, guy like Hitler. <laughs> and she, she can't threaten him because she's been dead mm-hmm. for centuries. Yes. But, um, so he was going to install Nefertiti's bust in, in the center of this museum. And, you know what's so funny? Um, it, Hitler, the comparison to Napoleon mm. um, has been has been made, and they they did have kind of some similarities, and one of them being that they <laughs> they both kind of underestimated Russia and <laughs> kind of were ran into a lot of trouble because of that. Um, but I read a novel not that long ago that was it was a historical fiction kind of a thing, but very much based on on the life and uh, family of Napoleon Bonaparte. And he also was very well known to have a quite an obsession Mm. with um, ancient Egypt and did the same thing, like basically looted Mm. um, museums in Egypt itself and and brought back to France as many, as many um, treasures and antiquities as he could find. And um, well, that's why Paris has the obelisks, right? The center of the traffic circles and all that. So there's just, I don't know. I mean, all of us, I think, there's so many of us who are, there is certain something rather fascinating about ancient Egypt and, and that culture and the whole thing. And so it's just interesting that you get these dictator asshole men (laughs) (laughs) in the 20th century who have this obsession with ancient Egypt and it, and it leads them to loot Egypt itself for all of these treasures. And then these things are in Europe and places where really they actually probably shouldn't be. Mm. Yeah, they they don't belong. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it's a way of legitimizing their reigns and their mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's saying, true. Well, you know, this was an ancient civilization, and we will be as great, if not better, uh, mm. than you know this. And uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Powerful so, men and their obsessions. Powerful men, but we they're they're idolizing a powerful woman. So yeah, you know, so there you go. Is, this is that's a good true. way to end it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, never changed. Pretty cool. Pretty cool lady. Yeah. Pretty cool lady. Yeah, I mean, they all are. All of the ladies we talked about are pretty cool in their own ways. But conducting a social experiment during her reign that had never been seen before. Yeah. And, you know, really not afraid to to break with tradition, try some crazy new stuff. Might have worked, but they gave it a shot. They gave it a shot. <laughs> they gave it a shot. You know, stand out. Be different. Do that'll, something new. That'll be the campaign button for Akhenaten and Nefertiti. <laughs> give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. Let's try it. Now I'm picturing like the... <laughs> the Barack Obama style yes. change posters, <laughs> exactly. but with like the Nefertiti bust. <laughs> exactly what I'm thinking. We, okay, if any of our listeners are graphic designers, yeah, you can make that. that happen, even if it's just really crappy and you throw it together. I would be so delighted. Nefertiti's bust. Give it a try. <laughs> Give it a try. Well, on that note, I think, uh, have you got anything more to no, add? No, that's the end of my notes. Me too. So I think, you know, we'll wrap up Nefertiti. Um, <laughs> oh my God! That wasn't even intentional! <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Whoa, I'm amazing. so clever. We can't go anywhere after that. That's no, it. that's it. We're done. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Nefertiti, <laughs> you can find out more on our website where I will post the links to uh, the resources that we use to study for this episode. Um, so that is yesterladies.com. You can find us as well on Facebook where our uh, address is facebook.com slash yesterladies. On Twitter, our handle is at yesterladies. And you can also email us um, by using yesterladies at gmail.com. And I'll say it again as I say it every time. We'd love to hear from you. We have now gotten several yes. um, messages from people who are not known to either one of us Absolutely. personally. They are official. Official strangers. Both words capitalized. Official strangers. (laughs) If you are an official stranger, we would love to hear from you. Or if you are an unofficial stranger and we know you. (laughs) (laughs) An unofficial stranger. That makes no sense. If you're a friend, we like hearing from you. We really do. We love our friends. (laughs) They're also awesome and so patient listening to our crazy (laughs) podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Um, Anyway, whoever you are. Whoever you are. We'd love to hear from you. If you have uh, topic suggestions, that's always great. I'm going to repeat again. If you have any ideas specifically related to Canadian ladies history, please write in and let us know what those are. Because as I referred to in our last episode, we will be preparing a very special Canada 150 uh, episode for the first week of July. Um, But yeah, we'd we'd really like to hear anything from you. So (laughs) please do get in touch. And until next time, I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And thank you for listening. 